Please be seated. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 22 through 71. Just as a, a reminder here, right, we're on the other side of the walking, of Jesus walking on the water and the feeding of the 5,000. And so really what we're about to read is Jesus explaining what we ought to have seen when he fed the 5,000. Who is he? And so I know I'm biting off a really large chunk of scripture and there, there's so many different rabbit holes we could disappear in for a long time, so... All I have to say is we touch on various topics. If, if this scratches an itch and you, you want to talk about it and go a little deeper, I'd be happy to do so. so the, but the big idea here is, is how does anyone believe? How do we trust Jesus? And so let's, let's read this text, and then we'll pray and, and meditate on it together. This is God's Word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. 
Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that, come, that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing himself that, that, that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no, no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And this is God's word. He has spoken to us today in love. Uh, let's pray. Uh, our Father and our God, we, we come this morning to feed on Christ by faith, uh, that we might digest his work of grace and salvation for us and for the world. And so I, I pray you help us understand these, some of these difficult sayings of Jesus, that we would not be scandalized, we would not be offended, but you, instead our faith would deepen and our willingness and ability to be faithful witnesses would grow. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see the glory of Christ this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the surprises of the passage this morning is that Jesus' disciples, these, these folks who have seen his, some of his signs, they have literally had full bellies because of Jesus' power. Um, They've spent a, a lot of time and energy just investing in their, their spirituality, as we would put it. Um, they're, they're, I mean, they, they hauled across the lake to go find Jesus, right? And yet, when you get to the end of the chapter, these disciples just give up and walk away. They tap out. 
offended, unable to stomach who he is and his claims uh, to be the bread of life from heaven. And, and so it's fascinating here as Jesus goes out of his way to both cultivate belief but also to confront unbelief. And so that, that as we meditate on this, this, this passage this morning, the only options that, that Jesus le- leaves us with are either deeper faith, right? We can say like Peter, you have the words of eternal life, where else are we going to go? Or you're going to leave deeply offended by who Jesus is and what he, who he claims to be. Right? That John 6 really clearly and bluntly forces a choice on every person. And to use the words of C.S. Lewis, right, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said could not be, would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or he'd be the devil of hell, but you must make your choice. Either this man is and was the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him or kill him as a demon, or fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Right? And so, as we look at this text this morning, I want to ask four questions. Say, how do you get to the, to the end of John 6 with faith? Or how, how does anyone believe? And so, let's ask these four questions. The first question is, what does God want? Right? What is God's will? That's a big part of this, this passage, is God's will running through. But it's specifically in verses 22 through 29, as Jesus goes directly across at the unbelief, of those who've been chasing him, those who've been seeking him. Because in verse 26, Jesus says, Hey, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you want me, not because you saw signs, but because your, your stomachs are full. So, and this is the confrontation then. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, Jesus, will give to you. For on him the Father has sent his seal. And so here's, here's the big idea that, that we're going to look at this morning, right? That Jesus lays out the gospel, the good news of who he is, in terms of digestion, right? Here's what it means to believe. And he's going to use this extended metaphor of eating and drinking, right? And so you remember the, the 2004 film, Super Size Me? A guy named uh, Morgan Spurlock, willingly by his own choice, um, set out to punish his body by eating McDonald's 90 meals in a row to prove how unhealthy fast food was, as if you needed a scientific experiment <laughs> to figure that out. Um, but he wanted to show you that this, this thing that attracted all of us in the 90s, right, it's not good for you. And so well, as he did this, as he, he did, he ate McDonald's three times a day for a month. I mean, not only did he gain weight... His, he had extreme mood changes, he, he grew depressed, he suffered from a lot, just an extreme loss of energy. It got to the point, I think about halfway through, to where the doctors thought he was literally going to die before he got to the end of the month, or at least suffer permanent heart damage. In other words, he was alive, but because of the food he was digesting, he wasn't truly living. Right? An unhealthy meal. And so as, as, as you start to think about John here, and he talks about life, and you need Jesus to have life, he's not just talking about um, eating food and, and staying alive, right, continuing to exist and continue to be able to eat, 
part of what Jesus is inviting you into is the quality of life that Jesus gives, beginning now that will endure into eternal life. Right? Right? You can eat poorly. You can live for things that will perish, that will disappoint you, that will leave you alone and wanting more. But it'll affect your moods. <laughs> it can cause depression. Uh, to, to work for food for perishes that, that for food that perishes does not go well for us. Or the option is that Jesus gives us is to feed on Christ by faith and live. Right? And he says that in all kinds of different ways. Your fathers ate bread in the wilderness and they died. I am the bread of life, and whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will live. In other words, what we're, what we're looking at here is whatever food you work for, food that perishes, food that rots, food that decays, um, it's going to leave you unsatisfied. It's going to leave you unable to deal with death, uh, unable to deal with grief. Right? And the, 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 Jesus is talking to these disciples who are saying, you're, you're just working for your stomachs. You just want my power to... to to keep your bellies full. But you're going to be hungry again tomorrow. Right? You're going to have, you're going to work for things that are going to clog your spiritual arteries. It's going to cause depression. It's going to leave you craving more. It's going to leave you starving in the wilderness. But if you eat of me and my flesh, you shall truly live. Right? And so what we're, what we're seeing is Jesus is setting up a choice. There's two different banquets being spread here, two different feasts, if you will. There's the feast of life and the feast of death. Which one will you choose? Feed on Christ by faith, which we'll talk about what that means, or continue to eat at a meal where you know the food is going to spoil. It's not going to taste good over time. And Jesus makes this radical claim that I am the bread of life. I am the only way to survive and thrive in this world. Believe in me. You cannot live without me. Because any other way to live and work in this world is to work for what's perishing, what's fading away, what's, what's going to disappoint you. So, what, what are you living for? What, what are you working for? And this idea of working for food that perishes, I think it's a metaphor for demanding satisfaction from this world. Right? It's demanding God to make this world what we want it to be on our terms. Right? And you know this intuitively, right? That there are, there are harmful things to live for, harmful things to believe that if you eat, ingest the wrong thing, it's going to affect you, right? So if you ingest the food of approval, right, you're always going to be craving more. You're always, you're going to feel like you're starving when you don't get seen or noticed. If you ingest the food of, uh, of, of a career, of, of success, right, you can work, put in 16 to 18 hours a day, you can feel your body falling apart. It's physically going to kill you. Right? If you ingest politics to get through this life, you're going to get hangry when your side loses. I mean, you can just run through anything that you live for, any work that you think 
uh, will make this life worth living in the desert, in the wilderness, the place of sin and suffering and death, it's going to perish. Right? You can live with spiritual malnutrition as well. Right? You know, a, a pastor friend in Mississippi uh, who was actually from Vermont, um, I think it's actually part of Diane's testimony, which is a really weird kind of connection, but um, he, he tells the story how he came to faith in Jesus. It was actually, it's, it started at a Buddhist uh, temple as he was meditating with a bunch of monks. And next to him in this group of circles, they're sitting around um, meditating and, and trying to just calm, calm themselves. Um, you got to remember part of Buddhist teaching is that suffering is an illusion. And so sitting right next to my this pastor friend, Paul, was a large Canadian man who had blown out his knee playing sports. Right? And so to sit cross-legged with someone with a blown-out knee is just physically agonizing. And so he would just keep fidgeting, trying to get comfortable because it hurt. And the, the monk kept telling him, stop moving, there is no pain. Right? And by the, by the third time the monk yell, yelled, there is no pain, this man had actually passed out because of how much it hurt, right? And so what Paul realized at that point is this spiritual way of seeing the world and believing is not going to actually help me deal with the pain and suffering and death. And so he, he left. He ended up at Labrie with Francis Schaeffer and, and became a Christian. Um, and that started his journey towards ministry. So you can work for the food that perishes. You can, you can have spiritual malnutrition, malnutrition by believing the wrong things to where what you believe doesn't give you the strength you need to live life that it, in a world that's filled with death. Food that perishes. Right? And so on the one hand, Jesus is, is talking to these specific group of disciples that are coming after him for all the wrong reasons. And he says, you're pursuing the wrong thing. You're missing what the sign of the bread points to, which is me. And so they respond, well, what does God want from us? And what does Jesus say? And this is the key to the whole chapter, I think. Uh, believe, this is the work God wants from you. Believe in the one whom he has sent. What does God want from you? What does he want from anyone? What is his will for your life? Trust Jesus. Right? I mean, at least 10 times. Jesus says explicitly in this chapter, possibly more, you got to feast on me. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. You cannot survive, you cannot live without me in this fallen world. You cannot truly live without facing death, and you cannot face death without me. Right? So if you're going to sum up everything Jesus said from a 20,000-foot view, what does God require from humanity? It's faith. Faith in Jesus Christ as he is. Right? And it's not just an intellectual ascent, yeah, I believe that Jesus existed and he is who he is. This is it's, well, Leslie Newbegin, the, 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 the British missionary, summed it up well. To believe is to be brought to the place where you have to rely completely on Jesus and on Jesus alone. Right? To get to the point where Peter says, where else can we go but you, Jesus, because of who you are, the Holy One of God. And so that's the command this morning. It's pretty simple. That's going to take a lifetime to learn. 
believe in Jesus, the one whom God sent. That's the work we're, up, we're supposed to be up to, battling for belief, eating the bread of life, drinking the one who gives living water. Right? So that leads to the second question, well, why, why doesn't everyone believe? Right? Why do people reject Jesus if the offer is so good that you can live forever, eternal life? Um, you know, as we sang this morning, to, to have a love that will never let you go, that you can trace the, 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 the rainbow through the rain and know that his, his love is pursuing you even in pain. Right? Why do some get offended? And, and, the, and the answer is, is in Jesus' claim, right? Verses 35 through 37, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I have said to you that you have seen me, yet do not believe. So just stop and think about that for a second. What is Jesus saying about people, about human nature? That you can see Jesus, he can physically be right in front of your face. You can see his power and not believe. That's how much help we need to do what Jesus just told us to do, which is trust him. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I mean, this is a pretty persuasive case. The only way to survive in this life is to trust Jesus. If you have him, there's pain, but he will carry you through. And yet people still see Jesus, hear him, invite them to believe, and say, no, he's not for me. And here's what's interesting, right? Don't, before I answer this question, why do people not believe, don't miss the fact that Jesus is actively inviting people who are not going to believe. Right? He's, he's trying to change their minds. He's, he's communicating truth to those who are going to reject him. He's extending the gospel call to those who, refuse, who will refuse to believe. And, and as John said, right, Jesus knows who's going to believe. The Holy Spirit told him. Right? And so the question is, even as we're, we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty of how, how people come to believe, Jesus' words that, that it's in the Father's hand never doesn't negate our responsibility to speak the truth to the crowds. Right? To, to speak the truth in love who you think might reject Jesus' invitation. Because when he says, whoever comes to me, that invitation is saying, the door to me is wide open. If you come to me, I will never cast you out. Come with whatever baggage you have, just come. And it's shocking that Jesus would invite all to believe this way, because at the same time, in the the next sentence, he says, the only ones who will come are the ones whom the Father gives me, And in verse 44, the only ones who do come are those that the Father has drawn, that the Father has actively empowered them to believe. So you want to ask that question, why why does anyone believe? Why are you a Christian and why does your neighbor not believe? Jesus says the Father's will. It's right there. That no one can be a Christian and unless they are first a recipient 
of God's of the God the Father's drawing grace. That the Father makes the first move. That the work of believe, see, to to, to believe, according to Jesus, is to believe that the work of belief is a gift from your Father. And your responsibility to come. So come. And if you come, look back and say thank you to the Father because he drew you. Jesus' work is the one that doesn't perish. He's the one. It's his work you're called to trust as well as the work of the Father in helping you believe. Now, it may sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth and I'm just trying to, this is the way Jesus talks. We have theological traditions that love uh, verse 36, whoever, or verse 35, whoever comes, come, right? Uh, the, the invitation is for the world, and that's what our Arminian friends would say is, is, I am glad, I believe because I chose to believe. And they, with hearts full of gratitude, give thanks to Jesus, and we want to celebrate that. You know, this is, this is an internal Christian dialogue. This is not questioning their faith. But then our theological tradition as Reformed Presbyterians right, say, well, Jesus said if you believe, you didn't get there on your own. The Father drew you. And so we, we love, because we know ourselves in human nature, uh, to emphasize God's work of sovereign grace and persuading and drawing and bringing someone to actually ingest Jesus by faith. Right? So that, that our testimony is, I believe, I chose to believe, but God chose me first. That's hymn number 471 in our hymn book. Lord, tis not not that I did choose you, that I know could never be, for this heart would still refuse you had your grace not chosen me. See see what Jesus is doing here? He's holding both the invitation. You're working for food that perishes. Don't do that. Come Come and eat. And yet, he says, if you come, it's the Father's choice. It's the Father's work of drawing. And so my counsel is always, um, don't separate what Jesus holds together. You know, I think, I think it was William Carey in London saying, we need to, we need to send missionaries to, to India, to the other part of the world, to persuade them to believe, to preach the gospel. And, and some elderly guy in the, in the room and stood up and said, son, when, when, when God wills to to convert the heathen, he will do so on his own terms and his own time. Sit down. Ignoring Romans 10. How will they hear unless someone tells them? Okay. Hold the two together. God works through means, but it's the Father's will that working out those means. So, next question would be, well, why do some people refuse to believe? Why do they find faith in Christ impossible for... On the one hand, you just got to say, well, they chose not to believe. They're offended. They're scandalized. Right? They're, they're working for food that perishes. They're satisfying their desires elsewhere. Right? They look at the feast of eternal life, and they look at the feast of food that's rotting and decaying, but that looks really good right now, and say, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to reject Jesus. But if they believe... The Father's drawn them. 
Now, some pastoral advice. Don't be paralyzed by this. It's meant to set you free. It's meant to be a pastoral comfort. Some of us get twisted and go, what if I'm not drawn? What if, what if I'm not one who's been given by the Son or by, by the Father to the Son? Yeah, to, to use theological language, what if I'm not predestined? How, would Jesus, how do you think Jesus would answer? He would say, well, if you're interested in, in me at all, it's not your own doing, so calm down. <laughs> and give thanks to God the Father who's at work. And his, it's his will working out his good pleasure in you as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Right? It, it is impossible to be interested in Jesus if the Father's not at work granting you that holy gift of being dissatisfied with this world. Now, the, the reason this is so encouraging and, and helpful is because it demands humility. If, if belief was, all, was only our work, if it was only up to us to be attracted to Jesus, to, to change our hearts, to change our minds, to make the right decision, right? unlike those other fools out there who are not smart as me to make the choice to believe. You might not say that out loud, but that's the implication. It's, you know, why would you believe in no one else? Well, I chose. Well, why don't they choose? Well, they don't see like I see. Well, why do you see? From Genesis to Revelation, you see because God gave you eyes to see. Uh, it humbles our pride into the dust and allows us to really hear Jesus' words, that those who come to Jesus, he will never cast out, and he will lose none of those given to them, and he will raise you up on the last day. Which is another way of saying, if you're a Christian, to use the words of, of Richard Gaffin, right, you're, you're never more resurrected than you are right now. Because you're, you're a new creation in Christ. And what begins now continues into eternity, even as you close your eyes in physical death. Jesus will raise you up on the last day. So the only thing Jesus wants, what God wants from you is faith. Trust him. Trust his broken body on your behalf. As you look back to the Father and say thank you. Right? And so then how do you believe? And that's how we get to verse 41. As the the conversation comes to a head and the Jews are grumbling. They're acting like ancient Israel in the desert. You know, we heard the in Exodus 17, is the Lord among us or not? The question is, is Jesus Yahweh, the Lord, among us or not? And they say no. Right? Jesus says, if you believe, it's because the Father draws you. You have been drawn by God. Um, You've run into a, a love and a grace and a God that is aggressive. <laughs> so, right? His love always comes first. You know, Tim Keller would say his, his love is a pouncing love. His love has mugged you. Right? Good New York City analogy. <laughs> right? no, you're, you're aggressively pursued. And if you read the Old Testament, that who makes the first move? God creates Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve screw up. What does God say to Adam and Eve? You're mine. You just broke the world, but you're still mine. He comes to Abram first. I'm going to bless you. He, comes, he mugs Moses in the desert, who's just going about his business, working. Uh, he, he comes and rescues enslaved Israel. 
I mean, to the point where God says that you are my servant, I have chosen you, and I have not cast you off. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. And it started out with, Israel, you're my chosen servant to make my will known, to make me known to the ends of the earth. So do you believe that, right? Acts 16, why did Lydia believe? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to the things that Paul said. Acts 13, 48, all those who were appointed to believe, believed. Jesus, they're just using this different language to say what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you believe as well, it's because the Lord has taught you. It's, it's, it's right there in uh, further down where Jesus quotes scripture to say, if, if you believe that I am the bread of life, you've learned this from God the Father. He has taught you. This is one of the benefits of the new covenant. Because that's what was promised, is that the day is coming, says Jeremiah, when you won't, aren't going to have to teach each other. The law is going to be written on your heart, and everyone shall know the Lord. But who is the Lord? It's Jesus. And who teaches you in the new covenant that Jesus is the Lord? God the Father, according to Jesus. And so if you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, God come in the flesh, and you've received that gift, you didn't learn that on your own. The Father taught you. So come, believe, and recognize that faith is a gift. And the question becomes, as you bring this passage to a close, right? God the Father is drawing and teaching you to believe through, through who Jesus is, through the cross, through the scriptures, through his claims, and through your own circumstances. The question is, will you stay believing? Because at this stage, the disciples, some stay, some go. Because right? the conversation ends with more grumbling. Well, Jesus, you say you're the, the bread of heaven. Don't we know your mom and dad, Mary and Joseph? How, how can you tell us to eat your flesh and drink your blood? This is, a, this is an impossible teaching. They're completely scandalized and offended that everything depends on Jesus. Right? And so, let's ask that question. For us to continue to believe, you have to eat Christ's flesh and the flesh he gives, or the, the life he gives you is, is his flesh. And you have to drink his blood. Otherwise, you have no life in you. So how do you do that? Right. We've never seen him. Right. We, we believe. And this is where our Roman Catholic neighbors would see, come join us. <laughs> right? This is, this is their, their passage, because you, you can't miss... The, the sacramental language all the way through John 6. He doesn't, John doesn't tell you about the Lord's Supper. He just gives you Jesus, the Lord of the, the table. And so the, the Roman Catholics take Jesus' words literally here, that you have to literally eat his body and drink his blood. And for that to happen, the, they use technical language to describe a transformation process where it's still bread, but you're actually drinking Christ's body, or eating Christ's body, and it's still wine, but you're drinking his blood. And so, therefore, you can't be a Christian and belong to Christ without partaking of the Mass. So don't leave the Catholic Church. Now, that's the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, maybe not individual beliefs of, of our Catholic neighbors. Right? 
What do you say? I mean, one, Jesus says, the life that I give for the world is my flesh. And how many times does he have to give his flesh? Our argument is once, because that's the scripture's argument. Right? Christ died once for sin, and by a single offering, Jesus has made perfect all those who are being sanctified. So why would we go back to a system that sounds an awful lot like the repetition, repetitious sacrifices of the Old Testament that Hebrews says are no longer needed? Right? Jesus died. He gave his life once so that you might live. And the, the official teaching of the Catholic Church would be that Jesus is re-offered on the altar of the Mass. And so come and eat, which contradicts other places in the scriptures. Hence the Protestant Reformation, <laughs> right? That's why we have all kinds of different traditions. But the other piece where we disagree is because what did Jesus say in John six twenty nine? What is the work God requires of you? It's faith. Right? It's to believe in the one whom God has sent. And so... In a highly symbolic, metaphorical passage, why are we going to start taking metaphors literally? People do that in Revelation, and it gets really weird, right? No, Jesus is saying, he's equating eating and drinking with faith. And so when you take communion, the requirement to take communion is, do you believe that you're a sinner, that Christ's body was broken for you, and his blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins? Right? And when you do that, you're nourishing your soul by feeding on Christ's death. That happened once and is now continuing to sanctify you, to change you. Right? We get to proclaim his death until he returns. You get, by, by taking communion, it's an expression of faith of saying, Jesus' life is my life and his death is my death. Like, be comfortable sitting in the mystery of Jesus using metaphorical language here to describe faith. Right? That when we believe the gospel, Jesus abides in us and us in him, and we get to taste the satisfying love of God the Father uh, as we look at the love of God the Son broken for us, and the Holy Spirit makes Jesus known to our hearts in this mysterious presence. Right? You're given a love that never perishes. So take and eat and drink. Right? So as you start to see who Jesus is, the Holy One of God, the one sent to forgive sins and give life, you're going to say like Peter, Lord, you have the words of eternal life, the only way to overcome death. You are the one who will never perish. Where else will we go? Right? So the way to believe, according to John 6, is to trust in Christ's sacrificial death in your place. And trust that his resurrection will become your resurrection. That, that gets filled in later by Paul. Because you are given his life. And his life overcomes death. So, do you believe that this morning? Now, I'll, I'll end with... Um, just how this works. You know, recently, it's come out, um, this, this lady, Ayan Hirsi Ali, 
uh, a Somalian Muslim by birth. Uh, she, she was a political refugee. She lived in refugee camps in Kenya for a while and eventually was given uh, a safe haven in the Netherlands where she was just thrilled to throw off all the shackles of religion because all she knew was this fundamentalist, hardcore Islam, right? Sharia law and all the ugliness that came with it, especially for women. She says, I just felt free. I hated religion. I was happy to be an atheist. And by 2005, she was named as one of the 100 most influential people in the world. And yet, she said, all of that, I went through a period of crisis, fear, anxiety, depression. I went to the best therapist money can buy. I continued to have this big spiritual hole or need, and I tried to self-medicate. I drank enough alcohol to sterilize a hospital. Nothing helped. I continued to read books on psychiatry and the brain, and none of that helped. All of that explained a small piece of the puzzle, but there was something I was still missing. And then one of her therapists said to her, finally, Ayan, I think you're spiritually bankrupt. Functionally, she said, I, you're working for the food that perishes. She just didn't use that language. And of course, the therapist, not being a Christian, said, well, what kind of God would you make up that would fill that hole, Right? And as Ali started to answer that question, she said, well, you know, God of love, God of compassion, God who forgives, and said, oh, no, that sounds an awful lot like the Christian God, and she started to read the Bible. And she met Jesus, the bread of life, broken for her. And she's still in process and uh, figuring out who Jesus is, but she has come out publicly as a Christian because this world was not enough. She couldn't face life and death without Christ. And so the question this morning is, who do you say Jesus is? Whoever comes to him will never hunger or thirst, but live forever. Trust him. Let's pray. Father, we read some of the hardest words of Jesus, and, and yet the sweetest. And so I pray you would help us like, like hard candy to break through the outer shell, to taste the sweetness of your grace the wonder of your forgiveness of us as sinners, that, that it was your will to send Christ and his will to volunteer to be crushed for our iniquities so that we might taste of his broken body and drink of his shed blood and know that all is forgiven and know that death is overcome and we will live forever. So I pray your spirit would continue to work on our hearts that we might crave the food that never perishes, that we might long for the bread of life and give thanks for this great gift in Christ. So make us faithful witness of, uh, witnesses of Jesus who is with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.